ACAC family, I'm standing in a sanctuary that's basically empty. And I'm trusting that you are live streaming from somewhere. And what I'm amazed by, I mean, our God is so good. We have the technology and we have the staff that knows how to use the technology that we can have a worship service right in your, right in your living room or wherever you're at. We can worship. We can pray together. We can open up the word of God. I have the privilege and honor to open up the word of God to you. Our God reigns. He really does. He reigns. You know, it's supposed to be an Urban Impact Sunday, but, you know, of course, we're pushing that ahead and later on in the year. But, you know, I, I want to tell you a little bit about, a, about what ACAC and Urban Impact are doing. We're, we're, you know, the buildings will be closed. Ministry will be, or programs will be stopped. But ministry won't be stopped. Urban Impact and ACAC, we're, we're creative. We're thinking about different ways that we can minister here, especially on the north side as well as throughout the city. And I'm really proud of my, of my staff at Urban Impact. They've become really creative. They're using video. They're using the, all kinds of media opportunities, emails, phone calls. And we minister to thousands of people on the north side. And I think most of those people have already been called, prayed for. We've, de- we've delivered over 600 meals already. Now we've been cautious. We've been responsible. We've done what the government has told us to do. But we're not stopping ministry. We minister because we have relationships. And I'm so grateful and thankful for the staff and for Urban Impact and for Allegheny Center. You know, we've been doing this together for 25 years in the gospel. I've been, of course, ministering here at ACAC for 33 years. And I'm amazed. I'm amazed at what God is doing through you and through all of us. And he's going to continue to do that because our God reigns. You know, I think about what's happening. And I thinking about all the years of ministry that we've been doing together. 25 years we've locked arms. And people have walked up to me recently and said, Pastor Ed, are you nervous about what's happening? Are you surprised? Do you think the end of the world is coming? And I say to them, I'm not surprised because in the scriptures it tells us that we're going to have rumors of war. We're going to have famine. We're going to have pestilence. So I'm not surprised. And the end of the world, well, every day, we, every day that passes, we're getting closer to the end of the world. I don't, I don't know, but I know this, that Jesus told us to occupy. He told us to be about communicating and demonstrating the gospel. And we at Urban Impact and the pastors at Allegheny Center Alliance Church are really, if you will, have a holy pride for you because you're about his business. You're about communicating and demonstrating the gospel. And nothing moves without prayer, leadership, and money. And we're confident that we're going to have this day and we're going to have days to come to continue to do what God told us to do. Occupy, communicate, and demonstrate the gospel. So that being said, let's get into the word of God. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6. This is where Jesus Christ, he's teaching his disciples how to pray. And we're going to look specifically at verse 10. And this is what it says. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the title of our sermon is called, Let Us Pray. And let's do that just together. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you and praise you for who you are. And I would just ask, Lord Jesus, that you would forgive me and cleanse me of any sin. And that you would fill me with your spirit. And you'd speak through me to your people, and we as your people wouldn't just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers of it. And you wouldn't just stir us, but that you would change us. For Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
and amen. You know, I have a question for you. Do you believe that your prayers can make a difference? Do you believe that your prayers can make a difference? Now, I believe some of you are saying, absolutely, Pastor. But in, in light of what's going on in our world today, I would think that some of you might be saying, well, I don't know if my prayers can have an effect, have an effective impact, for example, on the coronavirus. Maybe if the Apostle Paul was alive, his prayers could really change the corona situation, or maybe Pastor Allen's or Pastor Rock's or one of the other pastors, but I wouldn't go as far as to say that my prayers are really going to make a difference. And, and isn't it true that, we, that God's will is being done all the time? Do I have to pray about that? You know, I've been in ministry for 33 years, and I've had people come up to me and ask me that question. This is the question. Do we really have to pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven? Isn't God's will always being done? Good question. And I hope by the time I'm done preaching to you today, speaking, that I will answer that question. And that I also hope that I'll convince you that your prayers can make a difference. Your prayers matter. You know, in World War II, there was a, a platoon, an army platoon, and they were, they were pinned down because of enemy fire. And they were pinned down for a long period of time in a bunker. Finally, the lieutenant looked up over the bunker and he saw one of his soldiers that had been wounded, about 50 yards out, still alive. So he looked at one of his soldiers and said, I want you to get up, get going, and go get that man and bring him back. Meanwhile, bombs were going off, bullets were flying over their heads. So the soldier looked at the lieutenant and said, why me? Why me? And he said, because I've chosen you. So immediately the soldier began to look at his watch and continued to look at his watch. Finally, the lieutenant looked at him and said, hey, soldier, I've given you an order. Get up and get moving. And the soldier said, Lieutenant, just give me just a few minutes. Just a few minutes. Kept looking at his watch, looking at his watch. Finally, he jumped up out of that bunker, ran out into the field, grabbed that soldier, put him up on his shoulders, ran back and jumped into the bunker. Meanwhile, bombs were going off around him. Bullets were flying over his head. But when he got to the bunker, he was unscathed. And he saved that man's life, that soldier. After a while, the lieutenant walked up to him and said, let me ask you a question, soldier. Why were you looking at your watch? And the soldier said, because I had to wait till it was four o'clock. And the lieutenant said, why would you have to wait till it was four o'clock? And the soldier replied, because when I joined the army, my mother told me that every day she would be praying for me at four o'clock. It's kind of a funny story, but it's a true one. Actually a true story. You know, I believe without a shadow of a doubt that our prayers matter. I believe that because I've experienced how prayer makes a difference in my own life, in my family, and in the ministry. And let me share one of those experiences, how prayer made a difference in my life. I, it was Christmas Eve years ago, and I was picking up two boys up at the projects at Northview Heights. And two boys were running down the street. And I drove, and I thought they were the boys I was supposed to pick up. And I drove up to them, and I rolled down the window, beeped the horn. And when I rolled down the window, I could notice that there was gunshots in the distance where those boys were running. And soon enough, sure enough, as soon as I was calling them over and they got closer to me, I realized these were not the boys I was supposed to pick up. They were older, and they had long trench coats on. And underneath those coats, they had guns. And I didn't know right then what they were going to do. 
beat me up, kill me, take my car, all the above. I didn't know. And I didn't have time to ask them because next thing I know, they're in my car. And they looked at me. And as they were looking at me, I was praying in my mind, oh, Lord Jesus, your will be done. And right then, one of the boys looked at me and said, are you a police officer? And I was too scared to, to really tell them the truth. I mean, I, was, I didn't know if I should, I didn't want to lie. But I didn't know if I told them the truth, if it was going to hurt me or help me. So this is how I responded. I responded by saying, kind of. Kind of. What does that mean? I don't know. But that's what I said. Sure enough, those two boys opened up the car doors, got out, and started running where those shots were being fired. What did I do? I got up. I mean, I drove away as fast as I possibly could. And I found those two other boys, and we had Christmas together. But then two days later, I came back. I was right here at ACAC. I was walking through the lobby. And there was a, oh, she was a spiritual giant. Seriously. She was a prayer warrior. And she walked up to me. Her name was Alice Rittenbaugh. And she said, two nights ago, Pastor Ed, I was woken in this, up, up out of the sleep, out of my sleep. And, and the Lord really gave me a burden for you. So I started praying for you. What was happening to you a couple of nights ago? And I told her. Then I said this to Alice. Alice, tell me, when were you praying? What time was it? And the exact time she was praying for me, those boys were coming into my car. Now, some people would say, you know, that's coincidence, Pastor Ed. All I know is that when you stop praying, those coincidences stop happening. And by the way, I don't think it was coincidence. Without a shadow of a doubt in my mind, I know that if that mother of that soldier and Alice did not pray, those stories would have ended dramatically, drastically different. But because they were obedient and they prayed, those stories ended up triumphant rather than a tragic one. Which leads us to back to our passage. Our passage that's found over in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, where it says this. And this is why Jesus is teaching us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whenever the Bible talks about the will of God, we need to remember that the will of God has two aspects to it. There are two Greek words used in reference to God's will. And they are boule and thylema. Boule and thylema. Let's look first of all at boule. Boule refers to the ultimate will of God, his unchanging plans. These are events that are going to occur no matter what man does or what man doesn't do. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 24, it says this, The Lord Almighty has sworn, surely as I have planned, so it will be, and as I have purposed, so it will stand. You see, no one or nothing is going to change the ultimate will of God, his unchangeable plans. Let me give you some examples. Christ's return. Jesus Christ is going to return. Guaranteed. The resurrection of the saints. Those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ, we will be resurrected with Jesus. Heaven will be our home. The final judgment, that's going to occur. The new heaven and the new earth, that will happen. In spite of evil, history will arrive at the destination God intended from the beginning. Now let's look at the second word. The second word is this. It's called, it's called thelema. Thelema. This is a word used to describe the will of God. And it means this. It's talking about the intent of God or the deep, deep desires of God's heart. That requires man's obedience in order for it to be accomplished. Let me read that again. 
It's God's intent or the deep, deep desires of his heart that requires man's obedience for its accomplishment. This Greek word is used 62 times in the scriptures, and every time it's used, it's used describing God's deep, deep desires. Let me give you some examples. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, it says, This is the will of God, your sanctification. The word will there is thylema, God's deep, deep desires. So let me ask you, the will of God is that we all be sanctified. But let me ask you, are we all sanctified? None of us sin? No, that's not true. In order for us to be sanctified, we've got to be obedient to the Holy Spirit and to the Word of God, and then it will be accomplished. Then we'll take on the likeness of Christ. We have his attitude and his character. If we don't do that, it won't happen. Let me give you some other examples. When God created man, was it God's intent or his desire that man would be or would sin or experience physical death? No. When Abraham lied about his wife, was that God's desire, his intent? No. When, when Israel was led out of Egypt, was that God's desire that they would wander in the wilderness for 40 years? No, not at all. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says this, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Every time I snap my finger, statistics tell us that Someone dies without Jesus Christ and, and goes to an endless, to a Christless end, a Christless eternity. Is that God's will? Is that his desires? No. His desire is that no one would perish. But do they? Yes. That's why here in the scriptures, Jesus is teaching us Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The word will there is thylema, God's deep, deep desires. Listen, he's saying this because in heaven there is one will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven there's one will being done. On the earth there's close to eight billion wills that can go against the desires of God's heart. So Jesus is saying pray. Can they go against the, will, the ultimate will of God, his unchangeable plans? No. But can they go up against the desires of God's heart? Absolutely. So Jesus is saying, agree, pray with me, that my, my desires, God's desires, would be implemented, would be accomplished, would be unleashed into the world in which we live. You know, there's a lot of things going on in our world that God does not desire. He doesn't desire hatred, murder, Racism, injustice, he doesn't desire lust or deception, none of those. Matter of fact, he doesn't desire that anyone would ever be murdered, aborted, or abused. It was not the desires of God. You know, I've had people at times tell me that it must have been the will of God. For example, there was a a young man who delivered pizza on the north side. He was famous. I mean, everybody knew who this young man was. And one day he went to a house... The door was opened up, and someone shot him with a shotgun. And I heard people saying, it must have been the will of God. That was not the will of God. God did not desire that to happen at all. Listen, matter of fact, Jesus Christ 
came to die on a cross, to be raised again from the dead so that those things could stop happening. And one of the ways they stop happening is because you and I, the people of God, we agree with God. We ask that his will, his desires would happen on the earth rather than man's, rather than the world, the flesh and the devil's desires, but his desires would be implemented. They would be accomplished. We as God's people have the responsibility and the privilege to unleash the will of God, his desires on this earth. Do you know, for such a time as this, if we pray, if we truly pray, we agree, we can significantly change the history, significantly change the course of history in our day. I'm not saying that everything you pray for, you're going to get. I'm not saying every time that someone's sick that they're going to be healed when you pray. I am not saying that every circumstance that you pray for, that God is going to do what you want him to do. But what I am saying is what the word of God says, that we're not to pray for our will to be done, but God's will to be done. Remember when the Lord Jesus Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was waiting for his his betrayer and his executioners? He agonized through the night and he prayed. And he agonized. He said, Father, take this cup from me. The cup was the, the cross. He was looking at the suffering and the pain of what that meant. And then he finally said, not my will be done, but your will be done. Thank God the Lord Jesus Christ did the Father's will. Because he did, those of us who call upon his name, we are children of God and heaven's going to be our home. And remember this, every time you pray, God's going to answer four different ways. He will answer by either quickly, giving you a yes or no quickly, or He will answer your prayer later. In Daniel, Daniel chapter 10, Daniel's praying and God answers his prayer. And then all of a sudden what happens in heaven is that Gabriel, the Bible says, is is dispatched. And he's sent to answer Daniel's prayer. But there's a demonic force. And the force is called the Prince of Persia. So they're having a a heavenly war is taking place. It took 21 days for that answer to come. But Daniel prayed consistently through those 21 days. And then the answer came. If you have not heard from God yet, if he hasn't said yes or no yet, don't give up. Keep praying. Don't quit because your answer could be right around the corner. It could be right around the corner. And remember this. God's delays are not God's denials. God's delays are not God's denials. And our timing is flawed. But God's timing is impeccable. He's seldom early, never late, but he's always on time. Be persistent, keep praying, and be patient till that answer comes. Because it will come, and God will say yes or give you a no, but he will answer. You know what I found over the years? I found if I've had to wait, not guaranteed, but if I waited and prayed, usually the answer is yes. Let me share this with you too. The third way that God answers prayer is he answers it better. Sometimes you'll be praying about something and God will answer it better than you wanted, better than you desired because God had something better in store for you. I remember what Billy Graham's wife said, Ruth Graham. She said this once. She said, if God answered my prayer every time that I wanted him to answer, I would have married the wrong man seven times. That's so true. Fourth way that he answers He answers by saying no. But no is an answer. And if he says no, 
then stop praying about that and start praying in a different direction. So God answers us quickly, later, better, or no, but he will answer. You know, today we're in a battle with an enemy we cannot see. We are at war with a demonic virus without question. But I'm going to remind you of a story about a time when my family was fighting, fighting something. Really, we were in a war, fighting for the soul, for the, my, very, my son's life. This disease wanted to take my son. You know I have four kids, Nathan, Joshua, Jonathan, and Abby. But Jonathan was 16 years old, my youngest son. And one day he came down with a fever, and he began to throw up. And he threw up a thousand times. We were in and out of the hospital 12 different times for 57 straight days. And they couldn't figure out what the problem was. But as you prayed and I prayed and my family, we began to discover something about Jonathan during those, those, those days. He could eat a cheeseburger and wouldn't throw up. But the moment he would drink a sip of water, a Coke, he would immediately throw it up. We shared that with the doctors. They agreed. They did some testing. But they couldn't figure out what the problem was. So what they had to do is they had to put a tube up his nose, down his throat, into his stomach, and we had to feed him liquids to sustain his life. But I'll never forget the day we walked into the doctor's office and the doctors told us that they couldn't do anything. They, came, they couldn't do anything more. And they encouraged us, encouraged us to go to the Cleveland Clinic. We walked out of there. We were discouraged. We got a phone call from our adopted daughter, Amy, Amy Volstadt. And Amy said, won't you come to our church, to my church? They have a Saturday morning time of prayer and healing. So Jonathan... Amy and Tammy went. I couldn't go. And Barbara Garlington, Bishop Garlington's wife, prayed for my son. He walked out of there. They went to get something to eat. When he got into the restaurant, he sat down and he took a glass of water and he drank the whole glass of water. Now, he hadn't drunk a drop of water in 57 straight days. He ended up drinking a gallon of water that day, pulled out his feeding tube, and God healed my son. Healed him. Hear me on this. Doesn't matter if you look in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Whenever you see a miracle, it's because somebody had a problem. If you've got a problem and you begin to pray, in that moment, you become a candidate for a miracle. Folks, we need a miracle right now. We need one. We need God to either eradicate this virus or we need God to come up with a, a vaccine through somebody or someone. It needs to happen. But I've heard people come to me and say, but Pastor Ed, isn't God using this to kind of create a revival? Sure, God can use this to create a revival. No doubt about it. So I'm, I've chosen a passage. Here's a passage that I'd like you to, to pray through and pray with all of us here at ACAC and Urban Impact. I've taught you before that we live by truth and spirit, spirit and truth. And the best way to pray is to pray in the spirit and then pray the word of God. Pray the truth. So here's the passage. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 says this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. He's saying if we'll seek his face, he will hear our prayer. And if we, if we re repent, confess our sins and repent of our wicked ways, what does he say? He says, I will. I will means my deep, deep desires. I will do what? It's a guarantee. It's a promise. I will hear their prayers. I will forgive their sin. 
and I will heal their land. If we pray this, God is going to intervene, but we need to pray it. We need to pray that his desires would take place on the planet. His will would be done. Not man's, not the world's, not the devil's, but his will. You know, I put this sermon together years ago, to be honest. And I was talking to my wife in the kitchen about it. And she looked at me and she said, you know, Ed, you're right. God is looking for people to stand in the gap and pray. My daughter was there. She was six years old. And she looked up at her mom and she said, Mommy, what's God looking for? And Tammy said, Abby, he's looking for someone to stand in the gap and pray. To pray for our country. To pray for our community. To pray for one another. And Abby said, I want to be that person. And she knelt down right there on the kitchen floor. And we knelt down right alongside of her. And we prayed the Lord's Prayer. And we prayed that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Will you pray that? Will you be that person to change the history of what's taking place right now? This is a historical moment. But we can change it. We can have God's desires completed. You know, a lot of people talk about a revival. A revival, you've heard this story where you draw a circle. You stand in the middle of that circle and you say, start this revival inside this circle. It starts with every one of us. Repenting, asking God to forgive us, but then trusting and believing that God has promised that he will deliver. And he desires that no one would perish. Be about the gospel. Be about communicating and demonstrating, figuring out ways to do this. Like Urban Impact is and ACAC, you're part of it. Be praying about how God's going to use you. But you know, one of you or two of you out there, you might be wondering, Pastor Ed, I don't know if my sins are forgiven. I don't know if really Jesus is my Savior. I haven't been living right. Well, I'm going to encourage you. Look right here. Look right here. This is what the scripture says. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, God is not willing that any should perish. Any should perish. But they all should come to repentance. In John 3, 16, it says, For God so loved you that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. How's that happen? By believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And believing is as simple as A, B, C. A, you admit that you're a sinner. You're not perfect. You you need a Savior. B, you believe what Jesus Christ did on the cross, he did for you. And what he did on the cross is enough for you. And C, you make a commitment to a living Christ. He died on the cross and walked out of the grave. He lives. We're not talking about a religion. We're talking about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus died on that cross for your sin and mine. He walked out of that grave. That means he has all power and authority to forgive you of your sin and to give to you eternal life. He lives. And he wants to be the one who forgives you of your sin. If you want that, just bow your head with me. The prayer that I'm going to pray for you doesn't save you. Jesus does. But with your eyes closed, just see Jesus walking right up to you right now. There he is. He's standing there. 
And he's asking you, do you want me to forgive you of your sin? Ask him. Tell him, Lord Jesus, forgive me. And I turn from the way I'm living. And I ask you to be my Savior and my Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to serve you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Those of you that just prayed that prayer, I want you to know that you're just not a creation of God's. You're a child of the living God. And you're part of the family, the family of God. You keep watching, you keep live streaming in and growing. Get in the word. I encourage you to to go to the gospel of John and start reading it. But when we gather together again, and we will again someday, you come to church right here at ACAC. Church family, God bless you. Thank you so much for all that you're, you're doing and how you're praying. And let's believe God for great things. Amen.